a Highline podcast. Hey, before we get started, I need to tell you about something we're doing for episode 100. We are doing a mailbag episode, and we want to hear from you. Tell us about a belief that has raveled for you in the last year. Tell us about what it's felt like. Have you reshaped it, or have you gotten rid of it completely? We're going to try to read as many as we can on the episode, so try to keep it to a paragraph. Email us at theravelpod at gmail.com, or DM us on Twitter or Instagram. Do it by July 30th to be a part of the episode. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers. But we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. <sighs> hey, friends. Wow, that was you? a sigh. Yeah, it was. That was a sigh. Oh, my good. goodness. Big hint energy for my topic, but we'll get there. Oh, oh interesting. Oh, we'll get there. As a reminder, Emily and I have no idea what's coming. So yeah, yeah, this no is all idea. new. No idea. What are you two drinking today? Well, I made myself some syrup last night. I don't usually make my own syrup, but I was like, you know what? I'm drinking more mixed drinks. I'm gonna just try one and like see what see how it turns out. So I made a cucumber rosemary simple syrup, and I put it in with some mezcal and some watermelon Lacroix because that's what I have, and it tastes good. It's uh, it's definitely like summery and refreshing. I'm not gonna lie; can't taste the cucumber rosemary very much. I think, it, but that probably just means it's like blending well. Like it tastes, I can taste the sweetness. Mm. Nice. And it's not the mezcaliness is not as like harsh, so it's definitely like you know cutting that out. But it it's good. I think it's a good like summery syrupy kind of thing. I'm excited to like mm. mix it with some other stuff. Maybe I'll taste it more if it's like just with Lacroix. Oh yeah, oh, there you go. Mm. Enhance a yeah. Lacroix with it. What what Lacroix? Um, I would. You know what? I this might be considered heretical on the show. Um, I would consider mixing it with a pure Lacroix just to like highlight uh, the flavor. Okay. I would definitely mix it with a lime Lacroix too. That would taste pretty good. Ah. Uh, or mm-hmm. this watermelon. I I'm I love the watermelon Lacroix. Proof that purity culture came for Lacroix too. You hate to see it. <laughs> You hate to see it. Good one, Stephen. Emily, one. what are you drinking today? Um, so Josh hasn't experienced this yet, but our good friend Tyler, um, on the Discord, has sent all three of us a lovely package that honestly made me cry when Aww. I opened it. Yeah, same. Um, just because it was such a surprise, and lo and behold, from um, I'm probably gonna butcher this. Is it? Is it Finlay or Finlay? It's Finlay. You got it. That's what I thought. It's Finlay. Okay, so from Finlay Brewing Company, it's he sent an assortment of um, beers from that brewery, and the one that I'm having is the Hike Camp. It's a really nice Kulsch beer. Um, oh. I just want to read this description to you, though, because it's just so fun. Brewed with German Pilsner malts and Herbusker hops, this one is insanely crisp and pleasant with a light golden color. 
Prost, which is what they say as a toast in Germany. And I have to say, in a frosted mug, it is delightful. Nice. It is on point. Very good, Tyler. A plus Uh, for you. Love it. Big ups, my friend. Yeah, I got my care package. We should also mention that it had a very nice letter in it and some stickers and a copy of his band's CD. About 41 Bears is his band name, and it's fantastic. And their music is really good. Find it on Spotify, wherever you use Spotify. What? That didn't make sense. <laughs> um, so today, I as well am enjoying a brew from Findlay Brewing Company. I am enjoying the Houlihan's Irish Red. Ooh. You know, I'm Tyler knows that I'm a fan of uh, Fat Tire, and this is just like Fat Tire, but so much better. Mm-hmm. From a uh, small batch brewery. Man, I love it. Even the can design is cool from this company. We it should say is. this is where Tyler works. Yes. Yeah. Do we know if he brewed any of those? I guess we could just ask him. I, I'm not sure. I think he's the assistant brewmaster out there. So he's been learning the ropes at least. So he at least assisted in these. Yeah. I'm going to say he did, that he did it with love. Yeah, we'll just claim it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Name it and claim mm-hmm. it. Amen. Amazing. Amen. Yeah. So I am enjoying this Irish red, also in a frosted mug using my favorite glass I got from being a member of the Bad Christian Club, another podcast I'm a fan of. <gasps> and fun. we should also mention that our drinks today are actually brought to us by oh, yeah. our friend John, who just recently joined the Patreon and hopped in on the Discord. Pew, 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 pew. Amazing. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, John. Okay. This week, you guys, it's my turn to bring a topic. And to be honest, I've been thinking a lot about Did you guys hear that Elon Musk is worried about underpopulation because of the falling birth rates? Did you hear about this? Oh, yeah. He will be worried about anything if you put it in front of him. Yeah. Well, especially if he's like an Eeyore of the billionaire universe. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Mars is underpopulated in his eyes, so we got to fix that, I suppose. But so Elon is out here thinking about (laughs) underpopulation. And for a while, I've been thinking about overpopulation and how the stress to the economy that sometimes we feel in like recessions or whatever is because it's a threat to Mm -hmm. like the GDP growth and how like a society can only sustain itself burning that much. I mean, in, in our case, burning that literal, that much literal fuel. And now we have climate change concerns and all that kind of stuff. And I was, I've been kind of thinking about how, uh, maybe the fall of capitalism is what is actually represented in the book of revelation and what they see as that societal collapse is overpopulation correcting itself. And then the world goes on to a sustainable future and all this kind of thing. So I've been in a very weird headspace. Um, but I've also had just, my goodness, I've also just, I'm going to have to bring the overpopulation topic for another time because I've had an absolute insane couple of weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest, I'm tired. And so today I want to talk about fatigue oh. and burnout. Um, oh, so we're not talking overpopulation. No, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give a major teaser for an upcoming episode where I try to link the fall of capitalism and societal collapse to the book of Revelation. And that would be our apocalypse. And maybe it's solving overpopulation at the same time, aiding healing climate change and all that kind of stuff. But that comes later because right now, that's a really good teaser. I want to talk about that. I have had an insane week. <laughs> you gotta wait, Josh. Yeah, let's talk about burnout. I want to talk about burnout and fatigue. Yes. Because this is certainly something that we know happens to people in ministry. 
this happens to, I mean, if we're honest, podcasters as well. Mm. Everyone mm-hmm. experiences this at some point or another. And I'm just tired of not talking about it because I feel like in the churches I grew up in, the idea of burning out or the idea of feeling genuinely fatigued was almost like uh, looked down upon as if you were being weak and you weren't full of enough faith to keep you energized mm. and going for the Lord. Or you're not relying on God enough. Like you're relying too much on yourself. Exactly. So mm-hmm. first impressions, I want to hear your first rants on the concept of burnout because I just want to maybe by the end of this, we're sharing like how we personally find ways to recharge. I know we've had kind of a self-care episode in the past and all that, but it's all related. It's all connected. So even if we've talked about something in the past, that doesn't mean we can't talk about it now either. So that's right. Give me your hot takes on burnout. First impressions. First impression. I think burnout is the downfall of a business and or institution. Like if you allow your people to burn out somehow, like Mm. you're probably just going to prolong the inevitable inevitable of your thing failing. Yep. Like, Mm. I feel like it's very rare that a single person burns out. Like you're usually burning out because like you're trying to help other people somehow. Like, I think that it's a lot of people who would like classify themselves as helpers in some way. Like you're trying to take something on to like alleviate someone else's struggle and Like, because of that, it's like you're both burning out somehow. Sure. And so I would say my hot take is that it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And that is inherent to the way burnout functions in a like social level. And I guess my other hot take is like, it's, it's not easy to notice or to solve. Like, Mm. I think we like all experience Mm. it differently and like we solve it differently. Interesting. I want to circle back to the noticing just as like paying attention to symptoms maybe but first i want emily to share her thoughts i think how we treat burnout is exactly how we use self-care and that's using it as a band-aid rather than actually implementing self-care in your everyday life and so when we treat self-care as a band-aid regiment then we are going to tackle the issue of burnout with a Band-Aid solution. And we don't actually have the conversations around effective ways of handling burnout, especially in ministry, because you're expected to go, 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 and to be fueled by the Spirit and to not run on empty. And you just need that quick little patch to get you going. (laughs) But we know that that's not the reality. So... And y'all have heard me say this in the other episode, self-care in my eyes is creating a life that you don't want to escape from. So you should be caring for yourself all the time in every way. That's so good. Every time you say that, I'm like, yeah, of course, that's how it should be. Exactly. Yeah, it's a good definition. That's how it should be. And so, wow, I think once we see self-care as that, then we are able to recognize Mm. burnout see it faster and actually face it head on but i will say disclaimer having burnout does not mean that you're bad or that you're failing i think people ultimately see like what you were saying steven burnout is a weakness i think it also makes people feel like they're unworthy and i also think it makes people feel like they can't succeed 
Yeah. Like once you have burnout, you can't come back from it. And that's so not true. That's that, yeah. that is so far from the truth. Um, but once you hear that word, it's like people have this permanent tattoo on their soul that automatically places them in like the defective pile mm. <laughs> and like they can't mm. get repaired in any way. And that's sad. Yeah, because then we then we activate phrases like burning the candle at both ends or mm-hmm. running on fumes. Like these are classic metaphors we use to describe like kind of how we're feeling. Like my tank is empty, but I still have to keep going, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen, what about you? What's your hot take on burnout or the or the concept of burnout? I really like the way you phrase that. Like, what do you even think about the concept of burnout? I think that I'm starting to recognize how much of my life I've spent in a fatigued state and how if you aren't appropriately taught to recognize fatigue and burnout for what they are, which are very natural processes of the body basically like screaming back at your (laughs) will to power to say like, no man, we're tired. We need rest. We need hydration. We need good food. We need enjoy. We need to play a little bit. We can't just always be working. Like I think those Mm. signals that the body sends, if you don't pay attention to them, I think they're very scary. If you've never been taught to know what those actually are. Um, and I think I just recognize it in other people a lot more after spending a few weeks in this state of like, Mm -hmm. whoa, we're all just kind of exhausted, aren't we? And I think in an exhausted culture, especially us being American who like our whole ethos, right. Is like productivity and performance. Um, I think it's possible that a lot of things, I want to say this carefully because I do not want to discount legitimate diagnoses, but I, I've had moments over the last couple of weeks where I am sitting with bad feelings or sitting with a bout of exhaustion and a lack of motivation. And I'm all of a sudden thinking like, well, this is this is what they call anxiety. This is what they call depression. And I know those things are very real, but I wonder how much of that... I wonder if we're not diagnosing fatigue as the root problem when we mm. claim depression and anxiety more often. And I think it's great that we are destigmatizing the idea of like just putting it out there that like, yes, I mm-hmm. am I am an anxious person or like I have diagnosed clinical depression like those are things and i don't want to discount that but i wonder if those just a couple steps lower is well are you sleeping enough are you eating well are you hydrating are you getting to play i don't know there's there's so much that goes into it because i i had a really bad bout of um fatigue a couple years ago when i was really running hard at work and i was like traveling across multiple states and visiting all these different sites. And uh, I came back and for a few weeks, I felt so off center and so weird that I asked my doctor if I could consult to see if I had something like bipolar because that runs in my family. So I had a consultation with a therapist and with a uh, psychologist and they were the, they were the ones who were like, honestly, this doesn't look like bipolar. I think you're fatigued. I think you were like Mm. actually exhausted. And that was the first moment a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that would do it, I guess. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
See, that's exactly what I think I'm trying to get at with. I think that we notice it differently and it can be hard to notice it for what it is because I think that yeah, you bring up a good point about like the overlap between symptoms. Like I was just talking to a friend yesterday about like women getting diagnosed with certain types of disorders can be really difficult because women seem to experience ADHD differently than men do and in different ways sometimes. So like some of their symptoms like might overlap between the symptoms of ADHD, OCD, and anxiety. And it might be hard to parse out exactly what's going on, but like what they can focus on is their symptoms and then they can go from there. So like you can like start documenting Mm -hmm. your symptoms and that can lead you to a better understanding of like what the root cause is. Um, And I, I think that the same is true for burnout. Like for instance, this might also be another hot take. And I could be wrong about this, but sometimes I feel like this is like classic podcast hot take. I hate this. This is this sounds so. This sounds so know it all. This is going to be on the TikTok ready. later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we overutilize the word trauma sometimes to where it becomes less useful for people who have experienced real harmful, mm. absolutely mm. awful trauma. Mm. Like I think that a lot of times people are experiencing fatigue and burnout. Like, like I don't know if I've experienced religious trauma. I really don't like like looking at other people's stories and like looking back on my own. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, there's been times in my past where I was like, "Ooh, that wasn't great. That wasn't ideal." I think that that gave me a messed up view of myself and the world. But you but wouldn't categorize it as trauma. I I personally would not categorize it as trauma. And obviously, like everyone needs to make sense of their own experience. We all have the right to put language to it. And Stephen, I think you were highlighting that well. But like, I've definitely been burnt out before. I have been fatigued by the church. I've been burnt out in jobs. And to me, that like I think that the distinctions can be very important for us because I think that uh, by using different words, like it helps us be more focused on the symptoms versus like trying to just find the overarching word that describes our experience entirely. Mm-hmm. Emily, have you ever burnt out as a pastor or in ministry? <laughs> You're the only full time person in ministry among the three of us right now. So, oh yes, I definitely. Um... And sadly enough, I would say it was when I first started. Oh, interesting. And I think largely due to the pandemic, starting a first time new appointment in a church full time in the midst of a pandemic, everything it's on its head. I mean, for me Mm -hmm. personally, not only was I starting a brand new role as a full time pastor, but I was starting my role as a first time full time pastor when our church was closed. And we are trying to figure out how to do worship, how to do visitation when hospitals and nursing homes and assisted living facilities are closed to the public. Like I had to figure out so many things in the midst of something that we hadn't ever faced before. So, yeah, I was burnt out (laughs) for sure, especially because there were people who were gracious. Absolutely. But there were a few people who the expectations that they had of me. We're almost saying, I don't care if there's a pandemic, this is what you need to do. Like their expectations were extremely high and had no regard for what was happening in the world around us. And it can be hard to want to meet those standards. Josh, as a nine, you know, like we're we are peacemakers. We want everyone to be in good places. And so when Mm -hmm. I am trying to navigate that in the midst of complete and utter chaos in a community that was against mask mandates and vaccines and 
pull yourself by your bootstraps. Let's just keep doing what we're doing and hunkering down because we're cowboys and we got thick skin. God will protect us. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. that is an environment that definitely leads to uh, burnout. And I know for me, it was easy to come out of that burnout because I've learned who I am, how I handle stressful situations and how I define self-care. Like I made sure, especially in seminary, how I define self-care really ensured that I could take care of myself in situations where I'm not going to be in a thriving environment or I'm not going to feel like I'm thriving. And so I know I've experienced burnout and I know I'm going to experience it again. And I think for me, Mm. one of the things I also realized was there was two sides to a coin in regards to burnout. And it was either burnout is expected because you're clergy and if you don't experience burnout, then there's something wrong, <laughs> which I don't even think that's entirely true. Well, I like think... you're working, you're not working hard enough. Yeah, exactly. Wow. But then the other side of that was if you have burnout, then maybe you're not fit for ministry. Maybe you don't have thick enough skin. Um, yeah. And so yeah, the narrative just gets like flipped back around either way. Either way. Yeah. So it's like, how do you win <laughs> in those situations? Like. People can't in those moments. This might be an outdated stat, but a couple years ago, one of my buddies who's in ministry was telling me that, according to some studies at least, the average lifespan of a pastor in a single church is about seven years, and the average lifespan of a youth pastor is about four years. That sounds about right. Which I wouldn't doubt if that's still true, honestly, or declined. Yeah, I would say that's relatively close. Mm hmm. Wow. Which is why, in my opinion, for the denominations that have itineracy, it works out great because itineracy is a system where pastors move around, you know, where if you have a bishop or whoever your higher up is, if they say this is where we need you, this is where you're called to go, a pastor Mm. would say, all right, that's where I'm going to go. And, you know, don't get me wrong. When itineracy first started in United Methodism, at least, um, it worked out great. But nowadays where we have more cities and we have less pastors and uh, we have pastors who are not just male and we have pastors who are not just single. Me, for example, I'm a woman and I have a family. Um, Itineracy does not always work. Mm. And sometimes you need to stay longer than four years in order to complete something. Um, On average, it takes two to three years for a pastor to actually create and sustain relationships within a congregation. And that's because for your first year, you're in a honeymoon phase. <laughs> like people mm. are excited to have a new pastor, maybe. Uh, and, you know, they want you to kind of dip your toes and understand the traditions of that congregation and what's your role and what are the things that you want to change or try out or keep. And so once you're past that first year and you're past that honeymoon phase, then you feel like you can really get your hands dirty and really start doing things that you want to do as a pastor and working with your congregation. And so like for me, my honeymoon phase didn't feel like a honeymoon phase because of the pandemic. Mm. And then my second year, so starting my second year of ministry, I was pregnant. And so (laughs) not a bumpy ride at all, not a bumpy ride at all. And so I'm starting my third year 
but I feel like I've been doing this for like 10 years. Is that sad? <laughs> COVID did that to a lot of people. I'm convinced. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that. Yeah, I mean, that's the joke of like, but, wait, it's not still 2020? Like, what the hell happened to 2021? Where did that go? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen, as someone who is currently identifying that you're experiencing burnout, and I'm, I'm almost wondering if you feel like you experienced that before when you were a worship leader, but I would be curious Very much. also like how you are like identifying it now. And like, I don't know, like, cause I think sometimes like people can identify it and then it's like trying to get out of it that that's the struggle. Like I know that that was certainly the mm. case for me this last year when I was feeling very burnt out. Mm-hmm. Like it's like the struggle to like exit it once you've identified it. So I kind of like, I'm curious like where you're kind of at in there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm in a phase of like, I've used the phrase before, like a lot of the times I can uh, access some very seven energy to be like feeling the juice as I say, of like many things excite me. I feel like I can pour myself into a lot. I mean, uh, at the beginning of COVID, feeling the juice and using it as a way to like not feel so cooped up, right? No, normal people started, and then a few months later, Ravel started, and then a few months later, Whiskey Bench started. And I did three podcasts for like a year. Right. And uh, learning to pair that back right like taking my leave from the whiskey bench and now doing no normal people as a seasonal show is like the more the more i kind of i kind of want to use the image of like an overflowing cup in the like that's a biblical image of like being poured into and then like overflowing and pouring out and Mm -hmm. sharing to others right like I have hit this point before and I'm very much hitting it right now where I almost feel kind of to Emily's point of like, it makes me feel like a failure. It makes me feel like I'm disappointing a lot of people. It also makes me feel guilty for needing to recognize that this is not a phase of my life where I can do a lot of pouring out onto others and that I need to accept Mm -hmm. being poured into Mm. And that makes me feel guilty because I feel like I'm failing the expectation of reciprocity with my friends Mm -hmm. and with my family and Mm. with people I've made commitments to. Like if I'm being honest right now, I'm, I'm in the middle of like a three month slog at work where I very often could convince myself that I'm the reason things are going poorly around the office for various reasons. Like, I feel like I'm failing a lot of people at work. Um, I've missed quite a few, like, no normal people drops, and that makes me feel bad for the people who like my show and who care about it. It it also makes me feel bad for the people I've already interviewed and haven't released their episode yet, as if, like, you know, I only did half the work, and now it's like, well, sorry, I don't have anything to release yet. I don't know. I think overall, kind of identifying with what Emily said is, like, that feeling of not having the juice for many things, if at all, and just identifying in myself, like, like, I feel like I'm very in tune with where I feel desires that highlight where I think I'm lacking. You know, it like I am, I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm hyper tuned to when I'm hungry lately, because I think that's just another example of like, you have to go out and get food. You, you have to go and like solve this problem. You know, 
that maybe that feels like a simplistic example, but um, yeah, I uh, it's like Bilbo saying, "I feel like butter stretched over too much bread." <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say that. <laughs> that feels very real. Like once you once you know what Bilbo's talking about, you're like, "Oh yeah, that mm-hmm. I I kind of get it." And it really makes me want toast. I really like that you're bringing this to Ravel, because like not only do I think it's extremely relevant in the church and among clergy because to be honest, those stats are just like getting worse all the time, especially during COVID. Like we've seen a lot of shifting happening around, but also I think it's a great example of like, like theology totally matters and totally affects the individual in very tangible psychological ways. Like, like with your cup metaphor, I think like, I think like that's a great example of like the way you interpret the cup metaphor can be life-giving or it can be extremely draining yeah oh amen like like i can totally see i've never gotten this thankfully but i can totally see someone using that that cup metaphor to say you're not letting god pour into you enough to pour out or something like it's Mm -hmm. like somehow like turning it back on the individual who is already obviously tired and exhausted and fatigued and stretched too thin and trying to tell them that there's something else that they need to do in addition yeah. to what they're doing. My wife and I were told that, that exact idea when we were beginning to burn out on the worship team mm. at church, at our last church. And honestly, that's one of the reasons we don't go back is like, right. Are you kidding me? That's what you thought it looked like to care for a community member and a volunteer at that. Are you kidding me? Right. You're yeah. going to gaslight them into making them think that their fatigue is their fault. When it's the church who mm-hmm. is ultimately draining their volunteers dry and just like chewing them up and spitting them out the other side, get the new people on team because the old people, they can't hack it anymore, apparently, you know, mm-hmm. like the churn of volunteer teams at church. I mean, anecdotally at my church was like a year to two years. It was almost a completely new roster every two years for the five years I was there. Wow. I mean, it totally makes sense. Like, not only are churches notorious for burning out staff and volunteers, but also, like, people, like, the reason it's hard to find volunteers is people want to come to church to rest. Yes. You know, yes. like, it, and if they want to, like, give of themselves in some way, like, they want to give of themselves in a way that's, like, natural and free flowing and they don't even have to try, which I think is yeah. completely valid, like, especially for volunteers. Like, you're not getting paid. So don't work too hard. <laughs> yeah, but also you you're uh, guilted into saying you're available all four Sundays in the month and not sticking yep. to a reasonable boundary of sorry, I'm only going to do this once a month, actually. Or even if it's not yeah. like explicit guilt, I think there's a lot of like social pressure on the individual pressure. in a church to just like be involved and serve because the the message is there about like how valuable it is and like what contributing gives your community and like well, God's kingdom pay it forward type. Of here's language. a great example. So Steven, you know, my mom, yeah. right? You know, Linda, shout out to Mama Linda. G. Oh, shout out to Linda. Shout out to Linda. Never matter, she but listens shout out. to this podcast. She's a wonderful True woman. Saint. Um, she, she is truly the definition of altruism, which can bite her in the butt because she has helium hand where she will volunteer. <laughs> yeah. For everything. Yeah. It's genetic. I've received it. It's a curse. And she is 
so invested in this church at Laurel United Methodist Church um, in Montana. And she is the lay leader. She is the missions chair. She is the staff parish relations committee chair. She helps out with the food truck that they do in the summer to feed kids in the community when school's not in session. Amazing. She is um, she decorates the altar like she's pretty much the only person on the altar committee. I'm pretty sure it's just amazing how she is able to continue doing all that. And I asked her one day, I was like, how do you find your oomph? Like, how do you have the drive to do all these things? And she said, well, no one else will. And if I assume Ooh, what an answer, if I assume no one else will, then I know someone has to step up. Wow. And she wants to be the person to do it. And I was just like, where's the box of tissues? Like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this woman. Oh. That's to me hearing that as a pastor. If I heard that in my church, no one else wants to. I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like I am not contributing to creating an environment in the church where people feel that they want to be a part of something more than just attending. And I think, yes, Josh, absolutely. Church is a place where people should rest. <laughs> they need to come and be renewed and be rejuvenated and feel welcomed to do that. And if people don't feel welcome to do that, people are not going to want to be involved. And it's sad to hear those words. No one else wants to. And if no one else will, then I have to. Oh, talk about a way of killing a church. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that that puts a lot of unspoken pressure on the person who wants it all to happen. Right. That puts a lot of pressure on Linda, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and I, you know, I like the vision of like you as a leader want to like inspire and encourage people to be a part of it. And you know, that was something we often talked about at my last church was it was almost like we should be so evangelistic about getting new volunteers on the team that like we want to create the problem for the coordinators to say we have too many volunteers that they can only each serve once a month, mm. you know, and it's like, sure, great vision. I just I'm so skeptical of like how you actually get there because it still comes with like a top down pressure structure. Of like, yeah. well, somebody has to lead the charge. And for Dixie and I, like, we felt like we could lead the charge. Like, we felt adequately inspired to do so. And after a period of time of being like, oh, but it's like we ran into battle and no one followed us. Hmm. <laughs> and then it's like, what am I doing out here alone? I'm exhausted. I'm spending three nights a week in this building and all day Sundays. And it doesn't feel like the fruit is there. We're not being paid. And when we were being paid as staff, it was as if we were 10 hour a week baristas on minimum wage. <laughs> like it was, hmm. it was honestly pathetic for the expectation of the like job description. Mm -hmm. And even that it was like, it was actually in the job description of like, you are a part-time position at 15 hours. And then we would be scolded if we didn't spend at least 30 hours a week. Yo, what? Yeah. That's of, wild. For of like, free? Of like if we hit the 15 hour mark, because that in also included Sunday. Like if we hit the 15 hour mark on Thursday, 
And they were like, well, I mean, stuff still has to get done on Friday and Saturday to get ready for church. It was like, okay, cool. Yo, I'm sorry. This mm. was for free? Basically, yeah. Mm. That's wild. Anyway, Emily, so like, I understand what you're saying. Like, I also don't want Linda to burn out, and I also don't want Linda to ha- have either the very explicit or the unconscious pressure of being like, I'm the only one who can do this and no one else wants to. Mm-hmm. And I honestly wish that more pastors would have the stones to be like, I have a one person altar team and I need to give them a break. So we're just not going to decorate the altar for a month and we'll see what that whole, yes. what that space <laughs> leaves for someone to be like, Hey, I noticed. And then you can be like, I mean, can you help? Yes. And not, not in a way of like, yeah, I need people. Join me. It's like, I mean, if it matters to you, can you help me out with that? Like, I wish more churches would be okay with leaving all the space. Ooh. <laughs> That's exactly what I did with Fellowship Hour. It was like for two weeks straight, no one was bringing in refreshments for after church and someone made a comment. We were like, well, you know, here's something like to think about. And boom, like... <laughs> You can tell if you're a Methodist because when you're pissed that there's no coffee you're or cookies, food. <laughs> then yeah. that needs to change. So, sure. But yeah, it's. Can we talk like, about motivation? Oh. I, w- I really like how both of you are highlighting motivation because I think that a lot of us like are or have been highly motivated to like do the best we can do, like, whether we're volunteering or we're working somewhere. Like, I'm thinking back to both when I was a volunteer in worship and youth, and I was giving uh, my time. And I, I looked at that at the time. I looked at that as like a form of tithe or like a form of generosity because my time is valuable and my skills are valuable. And so like I was Amen. donating, in my mind, I was donating uh, about, mm, I'd say eight hours a week, you know, so like a work day, roughly, yeah, towards church volunteering. And in thinking back to then, and then also thinking back on this last year when I just like, I burned out of a management job like so much faster than I ever imagined I would. And like thinking back to both of those instances, very different, very different forms of burnout and like extremeness of burnout. I think during both of those times, I felt extremely motivated the majority of the time, like especially in church ministry, like I wanted to be there. And like even looking back, like, I don't regret my time being there. I don't regret giving my time. I still see that as, like, valuable towards those people there in various ways. But, like, no matter how motivated I was, I still burnt out. And so, like, mm-hmm. I think that there's an interesting connection there. Like, I think that, I think that you don't burn out unless you're motivated. <laughs> like, like, I am a lazy person and I procrastinate, mm. but also I can be, like, almost manically motivated. Like, you tell me to do something, you tell me something needs to be done, I'm there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. And the juice. uh, Yeah, the juice. Yeah. And even if I'm, like, fatigued and exhausted, like, if I believe I'm doing something valuable, and if I believe it needs to be done, like, there's no other choice. Like, I don't see a way out kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Especially if I believe I'm uniquely equipped. Like, I think that lots of people are uniquely equipped. Like, People have incredible talents and skills that literally no one else can do, especially in their community. Like they are uniquely equipped to be a public speaker or play a certain instrument or (laughs) organize the insane amount of wires that are in the IT booth in the back of the sanctuary. Like some people are just like 
incredible and literally nobody else could do it. But like, I think that's what makes it really difficult about burnout is like, not that we view ourselves as irreplaceable, but like, I I think that we often recognize that we are the only person in that moment, at least Mm. who could and would do that. And I think that's what makes it so fatiguing is because like we see the needs and like we know that it's valuable that that thing happens, whatever that thing is. And I think that's what makes it so heartbreaking too. Like I, I think that the experience of burnout is like very close to like the experience of heartbreak, like not to just draw a direct correlation, mm-hmm. but I guess I will. Like, I think that sometimes the end of a relationship can feel like the, like a relationship burning out. And I think that that's like often what it feels like, at least for me, I'm kind of speaking for me in relation to other forms of burnout. Like it feels like that re- your relationship to that thing and your service in that thing is like burning away somehow, but you're like still not sure how to get out of it. Mm. At least for me, mm. but that imagery works for me. I think it's weird too. Sorry, I'm just like in a rant, I guess. Do it. I think it's weird too. Like even like when you're in the middle of burnout and you know you're in burnout, like you know that those are the symptoms you're experiencing and you know you need to leave and you do leave. I think that like like the weight coming off of someone's shoulders, like Jesus said it well, like you're my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Like like feeling that weight off of your shoulders like feels incredible. And I think even like for a while down the road, like almost in a flashbacky kind of way, but not, not quite PTSD. You'll like think back on those moments and be like, Oh, whoa, I was really stretched thin. And I like, I knew that, but like, I didn't know how stretched thin I was, but like looking back now, Holy crap. I was. Mm. Mm-hmm. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. I'm curious, what is your favorite hot take? For the Ooh. Enneagram. Ooh. Ooh. What's my favorite hot take? Um, I, as an observer and somebody who's worked with some of the masters in different camps. Sure. There's like different Ennea camps, <laughs> we could say. <laughs> totally. Like, and usually they're all nice to each other, but sometimes they can be a bit snippy. And I've worked with a couple of different you know, the narrative and um, Russ Hudson and a couple of different groups of people. Mm-hmm. 
I find value in all of them. And so I guess my hot take is to gather the knowledge and wisdom from all mm-hmm. instead of just going because I think you know there's something fantastic about the narrative tradition of they get people in panels and you learn stuff through storytelling and like seeing five fives in front of you or five eights you know <laughs> right. and how they differ and what's the same and what's going and so that's so cool but it's not the only way right you know so I think that's my hot take is that I'm loyal to none but loyal to all <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome Have you ever bought a bag of coffee from the grocery store and wished it wasn't roasted like a month in the past? Steven, I literally play a game. I literally do this where I go to a grocery store and I play how old is the oldest bean I can find that's roasted. So here's the thing with the Highline blend made by our friends at Revel Coffee, every bag that you order is specially roasted for you the day the order is submitted and it is shipped to your door within a few days. So it is fresh roasted, literally the best quality you could get. Emily, how do you make coffee at home? I do not make coffee at home, oh. so I'm very excited to try this, but I know some of you probably already drink coffee. You might as well drink coffee that's from the one of the best roasters ever, and it supports one of your favorite podcasts. Order the Highline Blend now on our merch store, highline.network slash shop. Can we talk about the... Uh... My yoke is easy and burden is light verse. Sure. (laughs) I know that one just kind of came to mind for me. Do it. (laughs) I just pulled it up. This is uh, in Matthew 11. It's at the end. I'm trying to get a sense for context here. So like earlier in the chapter, Jesus is like, he has a lot of good words to say about John the Baptist, kind of praising that dude. And then he moves on to like reproach and, like woes to unrepentant cities. Mm. And then he moves on to like a prayer and it's like a Thanksgiving prayer to God, the father. And some highlights are like, I thank you father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, father, for such was your gracious will. And then he just turns out of the prayer and says, and then Jesus said to them, come to me, all you are who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I don't feel like I'm gleaning much from context of like the way Matthew was writing this chapter. This feels like a verse that's really easy to just like, it's like the Jeremiah 29, 11 mm. of like, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope, something about prospering. I quoted it wrong, but I guess the reason I was looking for more context was like, what, if, who was he talking to and what, he, what was he trying to say? But it, it still kind of feels like it's out of nowhere. And I personally find a lot of comfort in these verses for sure. Um, just the idea of like, it's almost as if he's saying like signing up to follow me, honestly, isn't that difficult. Shouldn't be that hard. And I will give you like a piece that surpasses understanding in the meantime. You know, what's funny is the other quote that comes to mind is uh, Karl Marx. Um, his oh. quote about religion being the opiate of the masses gets misunderstood a lot because what he arguably did not intend with that was religion is the addictive, harmful substance that people are using as a 
mm. as a crutch to survive. Mm -hmm. He meant it more as like religion is the painkiller that helps us get through life. Yeah. I've and honestly, like, whoa, that's crazy that you bring up that phrase, Josh, because I've been chewing on that for a few weeks mm. right now mm. in regards to I'm once again back to like, I don't know if I want to go to back to church or not, but um, mm. I've been thinking about that phrase and I'm like, I wonder if a more gentle phrase way to say it is like religion is the placebo of the masses. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, but also like even that doesn't invalidate it because like like this shit is no. hard. Like life is hard, and like I think that it is extremely life giving when like a Christianity that is focused on comfort and hey, look, like you're struggling in life, but like Christianity doesn't have to be hard. Like Jesus isn't asking you for, to be more, to give more, to serve more. He's asking you to rest. Like I think that's extremely life giving. Like, are you kidding me? That's awesome. Like, Emily, you asked me a couple episodes ago of, like, do I think that anything in Christianity is life-giving? And I feel like that is, like, one of the mm. biggest ones that it is for people is, like, Amen. it can be extremely comforting for people. So, it, like, to me, it's, like, sadly ironic that, like, the church is also infamous for, like, burning through people. Because I think that it should be this kind of, like, comforting rest for the weary <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> it's, it's taking the idea of the yoke for an oxen. They were meant to be for two. But we Whoa. we created a, a life in the church where it's one person. And so when I hear that scripture, you know, I think Jesus is saying, whoa, you're doing all this heavy lifting, all this unnecessary work where my yoke is light and easy because it's meant for two people. Like I'm I'm meant to help carry the load with you. So like, come, like, come this way. Let me help bear this load for you you're not alone. Like, yes, I'll give you rest because I'm literally going to be carrying part of the weight. The yoke was the instrument that sat upon the shoulders of an oxen. And it was originally intended for two oxen to be pulling using a yoke. And you're saying Jesus is identifying with the second oxen and not. Yeah. Because for some reason, I read that as if he was the yoke. Like, I'm putting this on you, but it's not that bad. No, he's saying, I'm going to carry this with Why you. Why have I always read that wrong? <laughs> well, Whoa. I think maybe you think that because he, people don't know second, the history of a yoke. <laughs> well, yeah. And his second part of the phrase is my burden is light. But like, I see that as like a, yeah. like a, a phrasing of irony. Like if something's light, it's not a burden. So like, why would you even say that? Mm. And I think it's also saying that Jesus is able to carry our troubles as well as his own <laughs> because he's God. Like, you know what I mean? Like God is God. And so sure, it would make I, sense yeah, for a loving God to say, let me help carry this load with you because I'm able to. I, I have no problems right now. Like I have light and easygoing ways um, because I'm God. So let me help you. What is what What does that mean? That God carries, <laughs> that God, that Jesus could carry it for me. Steven, it's when you look back. Yeah, not carry it for you. With me, sorry. <laughs> it's when you look back and you only see two footprints in the sand. <laughs> that, that is where Jesus carried you. Sure. It's not carrying it for you. You're still carrying it. That's the thing. That's okay. Let me tell y'all, the whole footprints in the sand thing is beautiful, but Jesus is not taking it off of you. He's carrying you and you are still carrying it. So therefore, like he is also carrying it. Sure. It's not like it just magically dumps on him. That's where when people read that, 
and they they're filled so, with hope, which is great. Yeah, don't, yeah, I don't I still want to don't take like that it. away. I, I, no, I see what you're saying, but I still don't like it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you don't like the idea of Jesus carrying it with you? What I get, I'm just struggling with what that means. In like, right, exactly. Is there a practicality there, or is it just supposed to fill me with the spiritual motivation to continue on? Why can't it be both? What is it with you two and having these? <laughs> uh, because I'm going to be. Why can't it change over time? Why can't it? So maybe right now it is meant to be practical, or maybe right now it is not. Well, I like what Stephen brought up about placebo in that, like, just by knowing that like something is helping, like it literally feels lighter. Like that is the placebo effect. The placebo effect isn't like, oh, it doesn't work. The placebo is actually like extremely mysterious in science. Like it works and it shouldn't work. So like, even if like you telling someone that, you know, Jesus is here, like be reassured, like it's going to get better. Like that does make someone feel better, especially if they actually believe that. Like if you are theologizing to someone and they agree with that theology, it does improve their well-being and quality of life, which is mysterious. And it shouldn't work that way. Because Stephen's right. Like, what functionally is happening if you believe Jesus is carrying your burdens with you? It's hard to put tangible words to because you don't see anything. But like, if you believe that, it does actually help you feel better. And maybe that's the whole point. Maybe. Yeah. But I also hate, I hate the sand. I hate that I brought up the sand thing because I also hate that thing. <laughs> or maybe there is something tangible, but we just can't place our finger on it because sure. we are limited in our understanding and experience. Which like brings it back to burnout. Like it's really hard to put your words to like what's going on. And sometimes you like don't know what's going on until hindsight. Yeah, that's true. Because here, like that's when truth. I preach all the time, God is present, uh, you know, I don't, I, ha I sometimes have people come up to me and say, where is God? Like, I can't physically see God. Maybe it's not always about physically seeing, but maybe for some people it is. And so then it's, okay, well, here's the Imago Day. The image of God is in all of us. So there go, like, <laughs> there is God in all of us in some mm. way or fashion that should give you comfort. And so the idea of God help, you know, helping to carry our burdens or our loads or our stress Maybe it's the fact that there are people in our lives who love and care for you and can help fill your cup when you're empty. Maybe that's God <laughs> at work. And so, yeah, the footprints in the sand thing is sometimes annoying. And maybe replacing Jesus with a loved one saying like my loved one is like holding my hand, mm. walking alongside me. And in a way, there's like one one trail of footprints in the sand. I don't know. However, mm. however, that floats your boat. You it's know, cool. I like that. The more, the more I think about that, the more I agree with you because I think that there is a difference. Th there's a difference between like tangibly seeing something and like knowing something through communication. Like, like I feel like over the last like year or so, it's become a lot more obvious to me when someone is like, like, like how comforting it can be when someone is like verbally supportive. Like we make fun mm -hmm. of thoughts and prayers all the time. But when somebody says like, hey, I'm here for you, like I support you and like I love what you're doing, whatever the example is, like knowing that, like even if they're not tangibly doing anything, knowing how someone feels totally feels great. And so I think that that is yeah. what is communicated sometimes in those like theological comforts. So I don't know. The more I think about that, the more I, I, I think that that framework could apply to like what you're saying, Emily. Boom. Boom. But 
<laughs> but but also like how many of us have just been like drug through the gravel with platitudes you know what i mean like i think that that's what's hard for people about like experiencing burnout in a religious context is like there's so many forms of people who say something that like sounds great but like it just makes the person feel so crappy like how do we avoid that and that's why we need to change the conversation that a platitude is just a form of a band-aid in the world of self-care <laughs> we need to change mm. the conversation wow that's tweetable that's good mm. get away from the band-aids that's hard that goes and do hard. something yeah that is going to change your life implement care every day of your life that is going to sustain you and give you life it's the same mm. with how we interact with people and interact with people who are experiencing burnout. A platitude does nothing. We need to change the conversation. We need to be real about the conversation of burnout. We need to be real about what is happening and why it happens. And I think having the conversation of don't treat it as something that needs to be fixed. Mm. Don't treat it as something that needs to be repaired because then we're going to just look for those quick and easy solutions that are temporary and not really getting to the heart of the matter and that's burnout happens let's walk together and mm. not worry about fixing a person but instead just giving the person what they need to feel whole and loved and supported and not garbage and not worthless and not a failure because they're not a problem to be fixed and so burnout shouldn't be a problem to be fixed either i think that also, we should recognize that like some things may work for us at some points to solve something like burnout, but not at other points. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, I, I, man, I was just reminded of this earlier. So it's like really interesting that like this came up as the topic. Um, I remembered at this point in high school and I transitioned from being homeschooled to going to public high school. My only, only experience going to public high school was, or public school was high school. And at one point, I got super, super, super overwhelmed. Like, looking back now, that was definitely a form of burnout, for sure. But, like, I had no idea how to put words to it. Like, all I knew was, like, I was overwhelmed and I was so stressed and, like, all of these things. And I don't remember exactly how I got to this point, but, or, like, where I got this idea. But my solution was to write out some Bible verses on notebook paper and put them on the insides of my different folders so that the first thing I saw were these like affirming, uplifting verses instead of my stressful homework. And I don't even remember what the verses were. I feel like one of them was from Corinthians, but like I have no idea. And like looking back on that, like it totally worked for me at the time. Like there was something about it that was like comforting. It like cognitively reshaped my experience and it worked. But like now, if I like went to someone with a struggle that I was having and they were just like, hey, man, like, I just want to, like, give you this verse on a note card. I would be like, I don't want that right now. Like, that is not what I want. <laughs> it's not I'm not going to, like, sit there and look at it and, like, think about that verse instead of think about what's going on. Like, that's not my solve right now. And I think that that can be, like, hard to come to terms with sometimes because I think that we tend to, like, religious or not, I think that we tend to, like, go back to previous coping mechanisms. And honestly, they don't usually work, mm. in my experience. Yeah, like journaling for you, right, Josh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, journaling is a great example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. For me. 
I feel like what you guys have highlighted for me in the last number of minutes is um, there's a role to like isolation huh. in fatigue and burnout of like, yeah, the point is that Jesus like shoulders the yoke next to me. And that's, that's a great way to speak of it in a spiritual sense, but even just like leaning on a community for mm-hmm. practicalities and also for, you know, in our discord, here's an example of me feeling like I'm failing people is I feel like I've been far less active in the discord than I have been in the past. And I feel like I'm letting down the regulars of the discord by not being more present with them. But I'm also thinking about how like part of that engagement could literally just be a message in the prayers and vibes channel. That's just like, Hey, I'm struggling and I feel like I'm failing you guys, but I'm having a real hard time with burnout and fatigue right now. And that's why I'm not as active. Mm -hmm. And knowing the people in here, it would be, I mean, truly this is why like I cried last night when I opened Tyler's little care package with beer and music and a very sweet letter just because I was like, goodness gracious, it, it feels so good to be thought of. And yeah, a lot of the time it's like, you know, COVID having, you know, more or less shaped our culture in different ways through Zoom and the digital ways now we have of interacting. Like it's not everyone can just like be in the same room as you and recognize or like read your mind that you're tired. So maybe you just have to be brave enough to ask for help. Like had I told either of you that I was feeling this before we got on to make a freaking episode together. No, I did not. And uh, I guess that's both like convicting and also comforting that like aid or just like, as we've talked about over this, this time is like the genuine thoughts and prayers, like those feel nice Mm -hmm. and maybe you should just ask for them and not feel ashamed of having to ask for them. Cause also that encourages the community because it feels good to be asked. <sighs> I think one of the hardest things about burnout, I just keep thinking about on this episode is, I think you're right, Stephen. It feels isolating, and it like it usually feels like you're trapped. I think that was definitely true for me in a lot of different cases. Like, and maybe not. There's no escape, but like, you'd almost feel guilty if you left. Hmm. Or on top of that, it might also just be difficult for you to find an exit somehow, like whether it's a job or yeah, right, a volunteering position, or you feel like you're the only one who would do this thing. I think that makes it really difficult to exit those situations or even change them. What have you two experienced as small, slow healthy things to not be band-aids but to actually begin like i I keep having this image emily of using band-aids as a phrase of like it's like trying to treat a broken arm with a band-aid so like Mm -hmm. rather than the band-aids and i'm asking you two personally because I, i know you both have had phases of burnout and fatigue in your life like what has worked even even if you don't think it would hurt work maybe the next time or right now, what have you experienced as like life-giving real treatments or real um, 
Yeah, it's not the Band-Aid. It's like the full arm cast to help the bone set and regrow kind of things. Mm. And there's no wrong answers because these are completely mm-hmm. subjective experiences. Because like for me, I'm hitting a phase where I'm starting to experience like journaling used to work for me and it's not working for Ooh. me right now. And that makes me sad mm-hmm. because I've journaled consistently totally. for seven, no, six years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that even contributes to the feeling of like, I'm becoming a failure because this is, it's like journaling has been part of my identity for a long time. And I used to be really proud mm-hmm. of it. And now I'm like, I sit down to journal and it's all just like a bunch of negative thoughts. And I read over the page and I'm like, well, I thought venting would help, but that didn't really work. Mm. Hmm. I know for me, and this goes back to my CPE, clinical pastoral education training that I had, um, thinking about action, reflection, action, but using it in the realm of burnout. And so, for example, Stephen, for you going to journal and you're like, huh, you know, I'm not really feeling the same as I normally would. You know, one of the first things would be to reflect on that and to really ask yourself why. Because I think sometimes it can be, I don't want to say scary, but it can be kind of scary maybe to address why something isn't working. And I think it's because it's rooted in this idea of fear that you're failing. So when you when you ask yourself, you know, why isn't this like, why do I not feel the way I normally do? And you have the sense of maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe it's starting with being kind to yourself. And reminding yourself that you're not a failure because <laughs> we can all be really hard on ourselves, especially in times where we feel extremely burnt out. Whoa. And I think when we start with this idea of kindness to ourselves and saying, this isn't working, but it's not my fault. There's something else that's happening, but I am not a failure. I think when we start there, we can then give ourselves that space to say, okay, I'm, I can find something new because it can be easy to want to just try to move on to something. But when you find that that thing's not working and then the next thing's not working, maybe it's because you're not kind to yourself and saying, I'm not a failure. <laughs> mm. Like I'm not worthless. I'm not hopeless. And I'm not something that needs to be fixed. So that would be something that would be helpful maybe. You know, you just made me think like the way that some theologies will like download into us in our development and how like what you just what you just shared, Emily, was I I realized that a lot of like the a lot of the shame I feel and in terms of like Brene Brown divining shame is like it's either guilt is like I did something wrong. Shame is like there's Mm -hmm. something wrong with me. And like a lot of the shame Mm -hmm. I I can feel, I think does have a root in a very like reformed theology that truly made me believe that there was, that there is something wrong with me. And like, Mm. it's wild that fatigue and burnout will just like take you straight back to like, can you imagine if I was handed a theology of original goodness when I was eight years old and not total depravity? And how much I would be handling mm-hmm. this differently at age 27 right now. Yeah. Because that reversion to some of the very basic, like, 
I would call them very legitimate, like basic survival instincts that you learn in childhood. Yeah. Like those are deep in there, man. And yeah, the reason I feel like a failure is because I start believing that I am one. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that just kind of like, I don't know, I'm just imagining like the riverbed under the water has been settled for so long, but now something dragged through and all this mud and all this crap is coming up from the riverbed and pushed into the stream again. Mm. It's like, come on. I thought I was done with that. Yeah. I thought I was past that. I think I would say this took me a couple minutes. I'm glad Emily went first uh, to come up with like the wording for how I would summarize it. And I think I would say make up your own traditions. And I have a couple reasons for that. A couple years ago, uh, one of my buddies went through a breakup and it was pretty rough on him at the time. And he was like, hey, do you want to go skydiving with me in a month? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. And he's like, great. I just really need something to look forward to right now. Whoa. And I was like, whoa, that is like, that is so stark. Like, I think like it can be good to be honest with people for sure. Mm. But like, like having something so like viscerally tangible, I think can be very, very helpful to like look at something else, not just as a point of distraction. And that's why I say make up your own traditions, because I think that for Mm -hmm. a lot of us who feel de-ritualized because we are not attending church. And we don't have the same level of weekly tradition to look forward to in the same way. Like even if we like, like Stephen, you play D and D on a weekly basis, probably. Like even if we like have things every week, like they don't quite feel to the same level of importance or like socialness, I guess. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that there is definitely. I, I think I'm doing this more and more all the time, but like I've really found a lot of joy in like creating my own traditions, like whether it's something that I do by myself, whether it's a weekly thing or whether it's a like situational thing or whether it's a yearly thing, like almost every year for the last couple of years, I've like figured out a way to like get people together and just smash pumpkins in the fall. And I think it's a blast. And like, I'm definitely the one that has the most fun, but it's because I want to do it. Wow. Um, And like, I just like make a big deal about it. But it's like mostly for me. <laughs> um, I like so I was gonna say like go for a walk, but I think that as much as I really enjoy the the going for a walk, and I think that that's really healthy for a number of reasons. And it, as someone who like doesn't feel spiritual for the most part, like it might be one of the more spiritual things I feel like I do. But like the more I thought about that, the more I was like, ah, uh, yes, this is why. It's because I feel like it's helping me set a different pace. Like actually, like quite literally, like. Because we drive most places and just walking at a different pace. And wow. Like, even if you're like roughly the same height, like you, you totally see your neighborhood differently. You see like speed differently because you're not in a moving car and you're not experiencing things whizzing by at the same pace. And I think that that's what I appreciate about making up your own traditions is like creating things that you can consistently do over time, even if it's not every day or every week or every month. Like, there's very few things that I do on like such a routine basis that it's every day or every week. But like, I think there's a good handful of things that I've like created for myself to consistently do in different situations that like help me reset a pace almost like I have to take the time to do it. Like whether it's going for a walk or making a point to talk to a cashier or, you know, something like that. I think that it's, I think that Mm. it's like creating these small things that not only can give us something to look forward to, 
and create meaning in the moment, but also like helps us set a new pace for ourselves. Almost like a, almost like in the way taking a physical break to do something just like helps you reset your system and like helps you transition to another task. And even though it seems like you're being unproductive because you're taking time to exercise or something, mm. you're actually being more productive because you're like not allowing yourself to get into a rut. So, wow. In short, make up your own traditions and set a new pace. That's my other takeaway. Totally. Th- that is really helpful. I wrote all that down, by the way. Oh, you guys, that was that was very Aww. helpful. As the Pentecostals say, eat the meat, spit out the bones. If it doesn't stick, put it back up on a shelf. Put it away. <laughs> okay. I guess Mormons also say <laughs> stuff like that too. It's not just the Pentecostals. Thanks for that. I guess. You're welcome. Oh, if you'll allow me to say, I think while we in kind of a decentralized way do lack some of the like ritualization that comes from church. Like you pointed out, Josh, like, yes, I play D and D. And right now, actually, I think one of the more life, th- life giving things I do on a weekly basis is play in the D and D game that I'm running right now. It is mm-hmm. become an incredible outlet for creativity. And in a way I find tabletop role-playing to be, therapeutic in its own right it's like we can grapple with emotions through characters that don't exist but have very real feelings Mm. and sometimes you can just like punch the shit out of something with rolling the dice and like acting out a battle and in that way it, it blows off energy and it's very good it's also it is the ritual of like getting together bringing the snacks pouring the drinks setting the mood with the right lights i choose the music i like i've playlists for all the music and then i narrate and i lead us through the game which was very great but to your point especially like what i was thinking of when you were invoking church just now was that sense of like it that still doesn't give you kind of that feeling of like being a part of something much bigger than you right what that church can definitely give you and if you'll allow me to say it and i guess on behalf of the whole group in the discord and just all the people who have joined our community. Like I feel like the Ravel community is like transforming itself for me into the thing that I feel like Ravel is so much bigger than the three of us. And I really like it that way. Like I like that the most active people in discord aren't us and yeah, mm-hmm. watching friendships form and some like real stuff happen Mm -hmm. in the discord with what we're sharing and processing together and you know amidst all the jokes and we're talking about what we're making for food and then we can also be praying for cancer diagnoses and Mm -hmm. job loss and all that kind of stuff that that the three of us and like the 15 people who are in the discord have been more life-giving to me than i would have imagined mm. when we started this nearly a hundred episodes yeah. ago and uh wow 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 i think even in the midst of burnout i do think burnout and fatigue will serve us in ways of revealing to us what actually like has embedded itself into our hearts is like what matters to us because like even in the midst of burnout i have found regular i have found events and activities to like carve out of my life to create more margin for myself to make sure I'm really paying attention to how I'm eating, trying to get exercise, even though I'm exhausted, 
trying to sleep more and all that kind of stuff. But not once have I thought like, maybe I should stop making Ravel because it's like it has revealed itself to be one of the things that matters most Mm. to me right now. Mm. And that is, I guess, just thank you to you guys. Like, this is a space that I truly look forward to. And thank you, Stephen. (laughs) In the very Christian way of like, I covet our time together. Of like, <laughs> yeah, like no, I, was, I agree. Like I was bummed last week when we didn't get a record and we had to schedule this middle of the week record. But now we're here and it's great. I know it's my fault. What Stephen is saying, Emily, is he'd rather talk <laughs> to you than talk to me and review the podcast. Listen, <laughs> as a bonus episode, no. because it's taken us five episodes no. to get through the two hundred and sixty podcasts that Stephen and I listened to combined. Or have listened to, yeah. or maybe will, yeah. But I agree. <laughs> Made a lot of bonus episodes, but it's a lot. That's a lot Too different many. flavor. <laughs> it totally is. No, Stephen, I completely agree. Like, I think that like doing this with you guys over the last two years has been a huge source of life for me. Truly, like, uh, and then also like in meeting oh all these gosh. other rad people who support us. Like, oh. it feels very surreal. <laughs> um, but like. Like, I look forward to this, like, on a near weekly basis. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so, it's very unique. And I think that this is one of my favorite things about making up your own traditions is, like, each thing you do will feel, like, so unique and special to you, especially if it's something that only you know about. Mm-hmm. Or, like, yeah, it, yeah. Mm. Very good. Mm. Well, and I cannot tell you, like, how much it has influenced my ministry. Like, this podcast, it feeds my soul and it shapes who I am as a pastor. Like you guys have no idea how much all of you on on the Discord and everyone who comments and everyone who, you know, writes to us or whatever, you all shape who I am as a pastor. And you all are the reason that I keep going. Like truly, you all keep me going in my ministry. And I could not imagine who I am and what I'm doing without all of you. You all are amazing. So, so amazing. My final thought before we get out of here is I feel like what, again, what the last few minutes have proven to me is that how important a, like a gratitude practice is. Mm-hmm. Cause man, in the middle of this conversation, I, I'm not going to lie. I may have dozed off once or twice. <gasps> <laughs> You need it, Stephen. If any but, of us in this circle need it, but, it's you. You needed it. But choosing to spend time reflecting on what we're grateful for right now, in particular, like what this podcast is and what the community has become for us, like I feel energized. You know, like that's this this is truly a part of it. Like there there has to be a reason. Okay, hold on. I just made a connection. There has to be a reason okay. that Jesus says a prayer of thanksgiving to the father right before he calls people around him to take on his easy yoke because his burden is light. And all the pieces align. Holy. <laughs> okay, well. Good job, That'll Stephen. preach. <laughs> That'll preach, kid. That'll all preach, right. Kid. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Just thanks. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. We're here. Um, We're here for you. We are here. Any final thoughts? Uh, well, we have been doing this almost two years, so if you have not already given us a review, uh, we are... Ugh. I I feel 
sad saying, I don't think we're going to reach our stretch goal of reviews by the time we reach episode 100. But that doesn't mean we won't eventually. That just because we're experiencing mm-hmm. a burnout phase mm-hmm. on the reviews. Wow. People are burned out on giving us reviews. It's okay. Rest up. Our burden is easy. Sad bye. Our, Sad our burden bye. is light. But whenever you feel like you have the energy to, please leave us a review. Because, uh, it's very encouraging. Yeah. And also, it uh, helps the algorithms, usually. Yes. So we're told. Emily, we didn't even talk about Sabbath. Dang it. I, that's. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. How did we go this whole episode without talking about Sabbath? Wow. Future episode. Well, that'll come next. Um, Future episode. Before, Emily, you share a word to sign us out. I'd also like to say thank you again mm-hmm. to John for joining the Patreon this week. Like. We talk about how lovely this community is and the fact that like people keep joining it, it flattens me with gratitude every time. So thank you. Emily, what's your word? What do you got this time? I have a prayer for rest that I would like to share with you. Oh, uh, all right. It's one that I often say to myself, but it's also one that... I have found in recent years reminds me to take rest and to be intentional with rest. Because if I am to be the best that I can be and the best that I can be for others, I need to know that burnout could and may and is an experience, but so is rest. And so my prayer is that rest can be hard to come by along any journey that we may have. But we are so thankful for the promises of God that help us to find rest in the midst of challenges and peace that is truly beyond our comprehension. Our prayer to you is that we long to desire the good things through you and to know that rest is the ultimate assurance of peace in the world. And welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do marketable that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. And, well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.